Get your Bibles and open to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, we're looking today at verses 1 through 18. I was privileged a couple of years ago to preach um, all of John chapter 20 for Easter. And so uh, the first point here you may recognize, but we're going to hone in today on verses 1 through 18. I want you to pay special attention as we read the word to how many times John uses the word see, see. This is the word of God. Brothers and sisters, it's our the foundation upon which we stand. It's where we derive our hope and our understanding of who Jesus Christ is, and we believe it. Let's read together. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciples. And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping, to look, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I am have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word this morning, and we thank you for this day that we have called the Lord's Day, your day, the day to come and celebrate Jesus Christ, your resurrection from the dead. Lord, you accomplished all 
You proclaim from the cross, it is finished. And it is because of that finished work that we can come and celebrate and praise you for being our great God and our Savior. Lord, we pray today that if there are those in the congregation who have yet to see you, to truly see you as you are, for who you are, we pray that you would open their eyes that they may see. And for those of us, Lord, who have seen you, may we see you afresh today and praise you for being our great God. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure this week you were, like most people, going about your business, working, playing, shopping, eating, doing chores. Most of us were going about our everyday lives not concerned, many of the people in the world, not concerned that an invisible enemy had infiltrated our world. Like a virus or disease that's affected the entire globe, the Bible tells us that this infection has infected every man, woman, girl, and boy. Like other diseases, it doesn't care what your gender is or ethnicity or social status. Your zip code or your education or your bank account will not make you immune to this infection. This infection is no respecter of persons. This disease, most of us here would know what it is. This disease is what the Bible calls sin. When I am proud, when I look down on others with disdain, when I am cruel, when I speak out in anger and hatefully disrespect those who deserve my respect, when I lie, when I lust, when I covet, when I envy what others have, when I gossip, when I look to th other things for my ultimate satisfaction and not to my Creator, when I am ungrateful, when I put others, uh, when I put myself before others, or when I put myself before God. These are the times that when we're honest with ourselves, that we often lay in bed at night and we don't like the person maybe that we were today. We know that we should have spoken kindly. We know that we should have thought better of people. We know that we should have been more gracious. And our conscious conscience convicts us of what the Bible calls sin. Here I've just listed a number of sins, but, but what is at the root of all these sins? What is the main sin, the foundational sin, from which all of these other sins spring? What sin is it that keeps us from seeing the Savior? That sin is unbelief. Unbelief. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So the question for us is, who can help me? Who can save me? Can I somehow, through my good behavior, mitigate these bad thoughts or practices? Can I somehow practice social distance from my sin? That might work if sin was somewhere out there. But friend, the, the problem is, is the place where sin is located is in here. 
I don't need uh, mitigation. I don't need some special program. I need a cure. And praise God that that is what Jesus came to give us. He is the cure for my blindness and for my unbelief. 1 Timothy 1.15, the Apostle Paul says this, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake He made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. From your in and out cups, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. 1 Peter 2, 22 to 25, He, Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by His wounds. You have been healed. But here's the nagging question. How are we to know that these things are true? How can I really believe these things? How can I know these things are true? And here's the answer. God has faithfully given us witnesses to testify to the veracity of these claims. And the writer of this gospel, the Apostle John, says this of himself. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth why? That you may believe. John has written this gospel for you. Why? That you may believe. My prayer today, friend, is that if you haven't yet believed, then today you will. And if you have believed, then my prayer is that your faith will be strengthened and you will Leave this place exclaiming, I have seen the Lord. Three points today to help us in our endeavor. First, one is just simply in the dark. Second, the evidence begins to shine. And third, the light himself shines. Let's get started. Point one, in the dark. Our passage begins the first day of the week. Jesus was crucified and died on Friday and laid in the tomb. Mary awakens not full of hope, but full of dread. Still grieving, she goes to the tomb. Can, can you imagine what she must have felt? Jesus has died. Her Lord, her Master, her Teacher, her Deliverer, the one who has released her, who had released her from demonic oppression. Verse 20, chapter 20 says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. John starts his account on Sunday morning. Why not three days after the crucifixion? Why did he not say that? Why not on the third day? 
Because God is getting ready to do something totally new. Like he created on the first day in the creation of this universe, he is now going to recreate a people for himself. And so he does it on the first day. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. C.S. Lewis has said, Jesus did not come to make good men better, but to make dead men live. He came to create a whole new man, and that is who we are. We are those new creations, if you put your hope and trust in Christ. So profound is this day that the early church moved the worship of God from the seventh day to the first day and called it the Lord's Day in honor of His resurrection. And that's why we gather on this day, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. And so verse 1 tells us that Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. In a beautiful and, and lyrical way, I believe John is describing here where Mary is both literally and figuratively. It is early. It's in the morning. And yes, it's still dark, but Mary is still in the dark because she is yet to come fully into the light. She is yet to see. Mary starts this day in the same place that all of us were at one time, in the dark. In the dark. Many of us can, can think back to before we knew Christ, before we'd heard the gospel and, and, and received it and, and moved and came to faith, and we realized we were in the dark. We used to say things about our stupidity like, what was I thinking? What in the world? Your friends might say, are you blind? Why can't you see? Your believing friends could look at you and think, it's, it's, God is God. Jesus is Jesus. Why can't you see? You couldn't see because you were in the dark. You were blind in your unbelief. But Mary's going to move out of this darkness. John spoke of this in the prologue of his glorious gospel. Flip over to John chapter 1 quickly with me. Let's read again the prologue. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone who's coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. 
Glory as of the only God from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from him his fullness we have all received, grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who was at the Father's side. He has made him known. Mary Magdalene gets up early. She can't sleep. She must get to the tomb to continue loving her teacher, her friend, her Lord. She goes while it's still dark, and what she sees is that the stone has been taken away from the tomb. The words taken away here in the Greek mean actually lifted, like it was pushed out, possibly the groove that kept that stone there as they could roll it back and forth. It wasn't just rolled away, but it was somehow divinely probably lifted out of the tomb like someone had, had shoved it away by a divine hand saying, let me out. And so what does she do? She sees the tomb. She sees the stone is not there. She does what any rational woman who sees this would do. She runs, right? She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and she says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. Interesting, isn't it? She doesn't say, she doesn't run and then say, everybody get up, come with me. Jesus has risen. And they all say, he has risen indeed. No, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. Still in unbelief, her first reaction is a rational one. Jesus' body has been stolen. The Jewish leaders have taken it, or possibly grave robbers. Wasn't it enough to try him for crimes that he had not committed, to beat him and to torture him, to humiliate him, to hang him on the cursed tree? They had now to do this, bring this final injustice to him, to, to desecrate his grave. All these thoughts must have been swarming through her soul as she, as she ran. We come to point two, the evidence begins to shine. Look at verses 3 through 10 back in chapter 20. So Peter went out with the other disciples, and they were going toward the tomb, both of them running together. This is funny to me, probably to you as well. John writes this and tells, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John is a man. We <laughs> see, that, see that here. He outruns Peter. He gets to the tomb first and he stoops in to look in and he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Why? We don't know. He, maybe out of respect, out of something kept him from, from going in right away. But then notice, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. <laughs> Typical of impetuous Peter, right? He doesn't wait. He just goes right in. He saw the linen cloth lying there in the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in its place. Then the other disciples who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. And then John adds this parenthetical comment, For as yet they did not understand the Scripture, 
that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. We speak and we preach of an empty tomb. The tomb where uh, Jesus' body was uh, certainly empty of Jesus' body, but it wasn't completely empty, was it? Evidence was left. The grave clothes. If someone came to rob the body, why would, re- they, why would they re- leave the clothes? When, Je- uh, when, when Jesus rose Lazarus from the, from the grave, he came out of the tomb, and remember how he comes out? He must have been hopping. I don't know. <laughs> he was wrapped in grave clothes, and he had to be set free from his grave wrappings. If someone was going to come and, and rob the tomb, would they unwrap the, the, claw, the, the, the grave clothes and leave them and take you know, a naked dead body across? There would be no reason to do that, right? There would be no reason for the Jews, if the Jews were to steal him, to, 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 to do that as well. If the believers who were trying to, trying to um, do a fake resurrection, they wouldn't do that as well. They wouldn't take off the grave clothes and, and leave the grave clothes laying there. John uses a progression of three Greek verbs to show the state of belief and of seeing of Peter and John. Those three words are blepo, theoreo, and hario. Blepo in verse 6, the word there means simply look and see. John saw John saw the linen cloths lying there. He just it simply means he just looks in and he he sees them. He sees the linen cloths. The word thereo appears in verse 6 to describe what happened with Peter. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, but that word there for saw is thereo which we get the word theorize. He looks in, John first sees and then Peter looks in and sees but he sees and he ponders. He thinks. It, we, it means to wonder regarding something's meaning. What could this mean? Why, why are the clothes here? Where, where's the body? And then third, third, Horeo, John tells of his belief in the resurrection by using a third verb, which means to see with comprehension and understanding. He first looks and just simply sees. Peter looks and wonders and and begins to theorize what happened, and then John starts to think, and then comprehension comes to him, and he understands, and he believes. Verse 8 tells us he saw and believed. You can imagine the two disciples standing at the tomb, staring dumbfounded at each other, Peter exclaiming, I don't believe it, and John exclaiming, Christ is risen. I do believe it. That's the explanation. Friends, we should be encouraged by this transaction. Not everyone comes to faith at the same time or in the same way. This morning, as is my habit, I would like to sleep in when I'm preaching, but I can't. (laughs) I even have my alarm set early. So my alarm is set early to get up earlier than I normally get up on a Sunday when I'm preaching to go over my notes again and make notes to myself and reread and pray and think. But God usually wakes me up an hour before that time. And so I woke up while it was still dark. And I thought to myself, oh good, I can go back to sleep. (laughs) No, I laid there for probably an hour. And what happened was at some point I realized it's light. 
I didn't see the sun rise. It wasn't a perception necessarily, but suddenly I realize it's light and I can see. That's how some of us have come to faith. Our children who've been raised in Christian homes, like myself, raised in a Christian home, at one point did I say, I believe, right? Go from unbelief to belief. No, it was like the sun coming up, realizing at some point, wait a minute, I do believe this. I do believe this. And I can't point at a time when I move from unbelief to belief. Others, it's like maybe having a, a match lit in a dark cave, and the, 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 the light goes on and, and it begins to flood and the, the, the darkness is pushed away. Others, still others like a flipping a switch, a light switch, boom. And we're bla- bla- bathed in, in, in glorious light of belief. I can remember Pastor Bruce, uh, Bruce uh, Sheldahl giving his testimony and saying he, know, he knows exactly the seat where he was sitting. When, when it happened, and it was like that. He's hearing the gospel preach, all of a sudden, boom, I believe. <laughs> that was it. But we should be encouraged because God is gracious with us, even this morning. As you examine the scriptures with me, you can simply ask God, help me, Lord. Help me to see and to believe in you. John adds this, In verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. What we learn here is that this is the only way that we could have ever been redeemed. Jesus Christ had to rise from the dead. If he didn't rise from the dead, then he would simply be a martyr. I can remember being out rock climbing with a a friend of mine, a friend who had been my youth pastor. And my youth pastor, my ex-youth pastor, is now wearing a t-shirt that was a a, a made-up t-shirt. You could tell he had drawn it himself. He had painted it himself. It had this big, strange eyeball on it. And it had had these words that said, Beyond the Mythos. I hadn't seen him in a number of years. And so we're out climbing out here in California somewhere. And and I I was... uh, we just moved to California probably around 87, 89, somewhere around there. And, and so I'm asking him, tell me about this shirt. What, obviously, you made it. It must be important to you. And he didn't want to talk about it. Finally, after pestering him, he finally says, well, I'm beyond the mythos. I go, what does that mean? He goes, well, every culture has its mythos. And the basically conservative uh, American culture's mythos is Christianity. And I'm now beyond that. He said, I'm, 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 a, I'm a true liberal Christian. So well, what does that mean? I mean? You still believe the Bible, right? I'm, I'm, I have, this, this man has invested in my life, in my growth as a Christian. And so I'm, I'm wanting him to be, to be okay. And so I'm saying, well, you still believe the Bible, right? And he goes, well, I, mean, I believe, you know, what it, its claims. I mean, I, I understand what it's claiming to say. Well, what about the resurrection? What about the virgin birth? Well, you know, he said, well, you know, Mary was such a good girl that she was virginic. What? What about the resurrection? Jesus came back to life, right, after he's died. And he says, well, you just can't keep a good man down. What? 
What? Like, like any great martyr, the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of Martin Luther King Jr. lives on today. I remember coming home. This was not in my notes. <laughs> I came home and I wanted so badly for my youth pastor, my ex-youth pastor, to be okay, that I was talking to my dear wife. And I'm trying to somehow make it, in, make him okay. And my wife, I remember her, walk, walks out of the bathroom with tears streaming down her face <laughs> and with anger flashing in her eyes. And she says, you are messing with the very foundation of our relationship. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I remembered she was exactly right. Everything that this man believes, if you embrace what he believes and he's okay, you've destroyed this marriage. Because this marriage is based upon the reality that Jesus is the Christ and he has been risen from the grave. And because of that, we are redeemed. Right? Thank, <laughs> Thank you, honey. Yes, yes. <laughs> Listen to your wives, men. Jesus had to rise from the dead. He must rise from the dead. If he didn't, he was just a martyr. Many men have given their lives for good causes. In fact, many men have died for sinners, but only one man could die for sin, and that is Jesus Christ. Romans 4, 25 says that he was delivered up for our trans... trans he was delivered... I'm sorry... He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So Peter and John go back to their homes, leaving Mary still grieving. They head back home as they're pondering these things. And point number three, the light himself shines. The light himself shines. Verses 11 through 18. So Mary's still standing there. You can see the men just shaking their heads and walking and talking and heading back home, and Mary is still there. It says, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Why is she weeping? She's weeping because she, she's still in her unbelief. And she wept, and she stooped to look into the tomb. And there she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the foot. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she tells them, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Then having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but still she doesn't know it's Jesus. She's, she's so stuck in her, her view of, of the world and how things are happening that she can't recognize, she can't conceive that Jesus could actually be standing before her alive. And Jesus says to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And that's a question for us today, isn't it? Whom are you seeking? Who are you seeking? What are you seeking? Where are you looking? Where are you searching for ultimate happiness and peace? Jesus says, Whom are you seeking? 
Supposing him to be the gardener, she says, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus says to her, Mary. It reminds me of being in this congregation and one baby cries from the nursery. <laughs> Sounds like a baby to me. <laughs> Doesn't sound like in one and one mother boop <laughs> pops up. That's my baby. Right? A mother recognizes that cry. Whose baby is it? I know that's I know my baby's cry. Jesus looks at her and says, Mary. We see Jesus' tenderness. He calls her by name, and he reveals himself to her. A vivid display of the good shepherd. John 20, 22, 30 says, As at that time the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Then he says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Jesus, among the tombs, says, Mary, Mary. She turned to him, and in Aramaic says, Rabboni, which means teacher. It reminds me of, of, of my role when I put my other hat on for Long Beach Unified. And the little kids, the little kids who don't know me call me teacher, <laughs> teacher, teacher. And there have been times when I've come back, when I was, we were gone for our, our break, spring break, I walked back in and, and uh, one of my little girls named Amelia, I step in and the moment she sees me, her eyes just light up, little third grader, about that big and about that big around, you know, just immediately, teacher, runs and just boom, you know, about knocks you over and gives you a hug just at the recognition that you're someone who loves her and cares for her. Mary turns and says, teacher. And Jesus says to her, don't cling to me, because obviously she's hugging him, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. Here, this is a, a strange kind of saying, and, and commentators have talked a lot about different ways of thinking about this, but this is what I think is happening here. Jesus is saying, I'm not leaving yet. <laughs> Mary is like, you're alive. I'm not going to let you go. I can't let you go. You're never going to leave me ever again. And he says, look, we're not going yet. <laughs> I'm not going yet. You don't have to hold on to me. But when I do leave, I will forever be near you and with you because of my ascension. Richard Phillips says in his commentary on this passage, worried or discouraged Christians will sometimes lament that Christ seems far distant, but he is not. Having ascended into glory, Jesus is now intimately close to each of the great multitude of his disciples on earth. Paul, therefore, urges us not to think we must engage in some mechanism to draw Jesus close to us. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? 
that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The Word. The Word. And think of who Jesus is. The Word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is the Word of faith that we proclaim. Jesus lives in us by the Holy Spirit's inward ministry of God's living Word. And after that, Jesus gives her some instructions. He says, go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. First, we notice that Jesus calls his disciples here, not his disciples, but go to my brothers. Go to my brothers. Tell my brothers these things. I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Suddenly, because of the resurrection, everything has changed. The disciples are not mere learners, mere students. They're family. They're family. They're brothers of Christ. And now God is not just God in heaven, transcendent, but one who is eminent. He is a father now, a father. He's my father. He's your father. This is the reality of the amazing doctrine of adoption. Romans 8, 16, 17, Paul says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In Galatians 3, 25, 29 says, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. (coughs) And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. We are now adopted into the family of God. There's only one begotten Son of God, right? Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, true God of true God. All of us are adopted children. But when you are adopted, you become truly a son, truly a daughter. I asked Sarah beforehand uh, about little Lily, right? And you all know little Lily running around. She's like a little doll, a little wind-up doll, right? And, and she, there she is this morning as we walk in. She's greeting. She's one of the greeters. And Lily is handing out the notes right to us. And Sarah says, yes, the adoption was finalized a while back, right? And Lily, when that judge makes that proclamation, Lily moves from being a foster child to a daughter with all the rights and responsibilities of sonship, of daughtership, right? And that's what it says of us. We are no longer just people out there, orphans, going to and fro, but instead, no, we are sons of the King with our brother as Jesus Christ. Verse 18, we come to this final portion. After this interchange, 
I imagine Mary ran. It says Mary Magdalene went. I imagine that she must have rushed back to the disciples. She's getting her steps in that day. <laughs> I'm going to the tomb. I'm coming back. I'm going to the tomb. I'm coming back. <laughs> back and forth, back and forth. She comes back and she says, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we can say it along with our sister Mary, can't we? I have seen the Lord. And that is our prayer for you today, that you too will see the Lord and know what it is to love Him as we do as well. John Piper, writing on this passage, wrote an, an interesting analogy, and he says this. Your doorbell rings this afternoon, and one of your friends asks to talk to you. He comes and says, I have some really bad news. Your brother Jim is dead. And you say, shaking your head, I, I don't believe it. I just saw him this morning. He was fine. I don't believe it. It can't be. And your friend says, we went to the game together, and as we were leaving, this car went out of control and jumped the curb and hit Jim. I knelt over him, I waited for the medical examiner, and I, I saw it all. He's gone. And you softly say, I see. I see. What do you mean, I see? You mean that the witness of your friend has become a window. The witness of your friend has become a window, and the reality in the window has become plain. You were not there. You did not see the way Mary saw, but still you say, and it's right to say with all your heart, I see. I see. Brothers and sisters, Peter and John were there, and they saw. Mary was there, and we saw. And she saw. And now we, 2,000 years later, trust their witness. And their witness is a window into faith. And that window provides the death of our unbelief. Don't disbelieve, but believe. So you too can say, I have seen the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. It has been a, a glorious day. It has been a joyous day. It has been a somber day. Lord, we pray that we will be people of humility. That we will truly say, there for the grace of God go I that we will be a people of prayer, a people of devotion, a people of holiness and righteousness. Lord, help us to live out our faith in reality. In the words we say, in the actions we do, the thoughts we think. We thank you we have seen the Lord. You've been so gracious to reveal yourself to us. You are our shepherd, and we hear you. We hear you, Lord, speaking to us even now through this gospel message. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.